All right, welcome to another edition of Coffee Cast with Tation. This, however, being the first time we've had a guest on without a coffee. Rajiv Ram, former University of Illinois NCAA doubles champion, you're drinking water. Drinking water. I'm going to allow that as it is 4:42 local time right now, and some some of us get to sleep, some of us That's don't. True. I'm I'm on no sleep. <laughs> uh, these late night matches are killing me. But Raj, do you still have the um, the same feeling, the same energy when you come here that you did, say, 10 years ago? Um, I guess as far as an excitement and a looking forward to playing, sure. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe the sort of aura of it might be a little different, you know, having been here quite, you know, quite as many years as I have, but um, I'm pretty happy that I still am very excited to come every time to any tournament and participate and play, and just the fact that I get to still do this as my job is pretty cool, I would say. Um, that hasn't changed. You, I know, are, are somebody who always has been pretty decent about taking care of your body yeah. over the years. You're not drinking a coffee after 4 o'clock, which is quite respectful, but are, are you a coffee person? I don't even know that about yeah, you. No, I'm not, actually. I tried it for like two weeks last year, and it it's never really made me feel, feel great, and I only use it to get over jet lag. So really? It's a couple of days, and then and then that, that's about it. But sometimes I have nice juices, like my wife will just brought me right now. So, <laughs> Zaina, my former hitting partner, yeah, <laughs> for for a few years. Um, okay, so I, I didn't realize you, just to keep awake after jet lag. Literally, just just to like get through a day if I need it. But I don't drink coffee otherwise. I'm more of a tea person. With travel, I mean, I, I know how I am, and I'm I'm somebody who only travels overseas maybe once or twice a year. Right. How do you? handle that I mean obviously we talk about the rigors of travel all the time but are, are you a sleeping pill guy or are you just like I'm gonna stay up um, so it's actually gotten tougher as I've gotten older which yeah. I don't know if that's normal for people but like when I was younger I just kind of like I could bluff through a bad night of sleep and I'll just sleep well the next night yeah. and I'll be on my way but now it doesn't really work like that so the biggest trick for me is actually to eat at the time that I'm supposed to eat where I'm trying to adjust to so okay. like even if I'm really hungry, and I actually even try to start this if I'm going from home like the day before, you yeah. know? So like if I'm really hungry or whatever, if it's not time to eat, you know, let's say in Australia, I'll try to wait until, you know, it's breakfast. It's at least a time for a meal in the yeah. new place. And that seems to really help me. And if I can get like between the dinner and the breakfast, if, I'm, if I can get eight, nine hours of not eating, it, my yeah. body seems to adjust better to than the sleeping. I, I picked that up somewhere. Someone told me that and I tried it one time and it actually seemed to work pretty well. Like, even if I wake up in the middle of the night in, in a new place and I'm, yeah. uh, I'm really struggling with the jet lag, you know, I might be awake. If As long as I don't eat something, I seem to, like, get over the jet lag a bit quicker. It doesn't make it easy, but it just yeah. helps. When's, when's the last time you woke up and didn't know where you were? Oh, it happens almost every week, I feel like, you know? Yeah. Especially if I'm, like, you know, coming to a new place with new time zone. I mean, it's tough. It's, like, you get into some really, like, I feel like where you're sleeping pretty hardcore, pretty deep, and then you wake up and you were in Doha, and now you're in Sydney, and you're like, what happened? Yeah. And yeah, that, that, that happens a lot. You know the legendary story about Peter Polanski sleepwalking, falling, yeah. obviously, right? But have, have you ever had a moment where you, you woke up and you just had it set that you were going to the bathroom, which is over there, but it's actually over here. I mean, have you had one of those moments? No, probably not that much. I, I, I've actually started to, like, 
maybe it's bad for sleep, but I've actually started to take my phone with me if I ever get up just for a light, yeah. you know, just so I avoid yes. something like that. So I know usually when I see, okay, this is my room now, yeah. it usually helps me make sure I go the right direction because I don't need to be walking <laughs> through any windows or anything like that. I, Peter Polanski is going to be a guest, actually. He's told me he was going to be doing one of these soon, and I, I, I have so many questions about Peter Polanski. I, a very unique young yeah. man. So obviously Zainab just dropped by, yeah. uh, brought you a juice, and... yeah. The last couple of years, you've made that obviously that decision to just play doubles now yeah. and, and have the opportunity to be playing at, at tournaments in nicer facilities, yeah. nicer cities. How, how much has your wife influenced that in terms of how you wanted to kind of structure not the tennis part, but just your life? Oh, I mean, she hasn't really been anything but supportive when it comes to making a decision like that. If I had said, look, I want to play singles, then we, I would have played singles, you yeah. know, if that meant playing. You know, more challengers or, you know, like you said, maybe not the nicest of events. It would have been fine. I think that it, what it boiled down to is trying to lengthen my career. You know, we, we enjoyed doing this. I enjoyed doing this. She enjoyed doing it with me. And she knows I enjoy doing it. So she was supportive of that. And the idea was just that, you know, I could have probably played a decent level of single for another couple of years. But then I would have probably seen a significant drop off. Yeah. Whereas... And especially if I try to keep doing both, singles and doubles. Because, yeah. I mean, 2016, I think I played over 100 matches. And it, while it was a great year, I remember that offseason, I didn't want to do a thing. You yeah. know? And, and that's just that's just hard. That, that takes its toll, especially at this point in my, you know, this, after this many years on tour. So the idea was that this was going to be a way to try and lengthen my career a bit right. as long as I can. Because, A, it would take away a lot of the stresses of the matches more than anything it would take away the stresses of the training because the the the, the level of physical shape that you have to be in to compete sure. at the top 160 50 level in singles is is incredibly high so it's like even on your time off you're training you're trying to like you know increase or at least maintain your your shape and that was what I was finding to actually be more difficult than the actual matches. If you yeah. could just go out and play matches without training, no, I, I'd be up for it for sure. But just the, the stuff that was required, you know, day in, day out, outside of that yeah. was, was the tough part. And also the idea of playing those kinds of matches on consecutive days, you know, yeah, throughout sure. the course of the week. So back to your question about, about that, I mean, that it was a pretty, it was a decision based on, you know, what, what were my goals, what were our goals, what were we trying to do? And, and it was kind of staring us in the face a little bit, to yeah. be honest. And your interests have always been pretty diverse. I've yeah. known that about you. Yeah. Obviously, what you've done with Entourage, your, your charity yep. foundation as well. And I know right now you guys are doing a massive expansion on your house. Yeah. And I know with this type of a schedule, it also allows you to have that time to focus on that a little bit too. It allows us to have a little bit of a life yeah, yeah. outside of tennis, which, you know, I, I love tennis. Look, and I think part of what's kept me sane over this many years is the fact that I have had other interests and I've never made it. While I have put everything I had into it, I've also tried to make sure that on my time off, on my days way that you know I do have other things that I do you know whether it be family or you know other projects and stuff like that and so yeah it just is a nicer way also to maybe put a little bit more attention to those kinds of things also you know less in less in the weeks that I play less in the amount of travel and you know spend a little bit more time at home and, and all that I guess as you get older some of these things become you you appreciate these things a bit more and also finally just working on what life after tennis might right. might have um, working on my degree which I didn't finish obviously at Illinois which right. most people know um, but you know, should be done with that this summer, which I'm actually pretty happy about. Yeah. So. How many classes did you actually take? I took, in Illinois? I took yeah, I took 12 hours. Yeah. One semester, which <laughs> is the absolute bare minimum you can take. So, I pretty much was starting from scratch, and uh, I started about 
well, let me think, 2013 or 14, so maybe four and a half years ago, yeah. um, working on my degree again online. I just kind of said, look, I'm going to chip away at this and yeah. see if I keep playing for a little while. And lo and behold, here we are, and I'm, I'm, I got nine hours left, I think. So Yeah, this is, we are in the player yeah. lounge. Uh, it's, yeah, so Kavchich and Gasquet about to hop <laughs> there on. You go. So, I mean, that's you can tell exactly when this got recorded. That's right. Uh, <laughs> um, you you are one of the guys who is has come through college tennis, and now they're obviously uh-huh. Kevin's done well, Isner done well. You, you're pretty unique in that you spent, as you mentioned, just yeah. one semester there. How, how are your ties with Illinois, realistically? I know you've had a relationship with Craig Tiley, yeah. who's obviously now down here, but what what kind of a relationship do you have and um, positive, negative memories about your association there? Oh, I mean, I think it's mostly all positive. I, I if I, though maybe the only negative or regret that I might have is I wish I'd actually stayed longer. You know, I, at the time I turned pro in 2004, at the time, it was sort of still like, you know, tennis was a 20-something-year-old game, you know? And yeah. I kind of felt like I was 19, 20, somewhere around there, just about to turn 20. And I kind of felt like, you know, I had to start doing this now or yeah. it might be, you know, I might be losing time. And, yeah. you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing to have. But if I if I'd known what I know now, I you know, you realize that the, the way the game is going, it's becoming much and much older. You know, it's guys are playing their best tennis in their 30s. And so yeah. if, if I'd kind of had a little bit of that foresight, I would have definitely stayed longer yeah um, so that's probably the only negative thing that the positives are you know even in my short time are, are huge we had a great team had a great experience had a wonderful coach um, head coach and, and assistant coach but our head coach is down here now I, I guess I do have somewhat of a relationship with the current team but you know probably not as much but it's, it's hard you know I, I if I if I try and advise somebody or or, or you know be into something I, I try to I'd like to do it you know properly and I feel right. like from being at such a distance it's, it's hard to kind of you know get into the day-to-day stuff I, I supported Alex Vukic who was uh, in Sydney last week I yeah. mean I'll definitely always lend a hand and lend the ear when I'm needed but I also don't want to overstep my bounds there you know yeah but do you realize the cult hero that you are there I mean <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not joking when I say that I mean do you do you understand the impact you have had there regardless of whether you've actually been there yeah I mean I look I, I certainly appreciate that and, and and maybe I don't and I I don't know I just I just know that there's been a lot of great players to come through there and a lot of good people more importantly and I think that um, that speaks to just everybody around and uh, you know so any any bit of support that I get I certainly do appreciate for sure so you and I had a talk at a Chipotle in Sarasota yeah I remember yeah uh, and and we, we talked about personal life stuff yep. a, as well at the time, but I, I remember you saying you were going to shut it down, singles-wise, yep. uh, probably after Newport, yep. and then Newport happened. Yeah, and I think I won it that year, you, didn't I? You won yeah. it that year, and it was just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. But but my my thought process going back to that was seeing you at the challenger level yeah. and just realizing how unhappy yeah. you were playing at some of those venues. Yeah. Now that you're, you've stepped away from that aspect, yeah. the challenger level, what are your thoughts on how it can get better for players and 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 how are how things can maybe improve a little bit at that level? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I was so much so unhappy about being at the challenger. I remember that in Sarasota. I, I was more unhappy of kind of what where I was in my tennis career at that yeah. point. You know, like, and I don't mean Sar- Sarasota's fine. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't no, that. but it, it wasn't yeah. that. It was just more of my own sort of self. You yeah. know, it was more of my own tennis and my own where it was going and the direction it was heading and funny a lot, a lot of things happened just after that tournament I actually 
I actually changed rackets, which I know it sounds like the most minuscule of things, but it kind of allowed me to play a style going to a bit more powerful racket that I was a lot more comfortable with and yeah. was a lot more natural to me. And, um, you know, when that happened, that was, if I'm not mistaken, that was maybe uh, April of yeah. 2016. My first tournament with the new equipment was in, at the French Open, actually. And, like, literally all of a sudden I felt like I could play the way that I wanted to. And then, yeah. you know, the grass happened. I had another couple of good results on the grass before Wimbledon. Um, and then and then I ended up winning Newport. And it was like, I kind of felt, though, throughout that whole time period, though, that, like, all of a sudden my tennis got back to a level that I was like, okay, this is normal. Like, yeah. this is what I can do. And, and so it was, it was a bit of a transition. Actually, I think that next week I... After Sarasota, I might have even won a challenger down in Mexico. Leon? Uh, Guadalajara, maybe. Guadalajara, okay. But, so, yeah, back to your question. It, it wasn't so much so about the the place that I was. It was just the state of my game. Yeah. And um, my advice would be, I think, for people that are doing that is, you know, you the biggest thing that I would say is you have to figure out who you are as a tennis player and what makes you good and yeah. what makes you not good, you know? And it's really all about matching up your strengths against the other person's strengths or their weaknesses and tip, you know, uh, hopefully, um, as much as you can. Uh, and I think I started to do a better job of that yeah. in that little time period and understanding, okay, who it was that I, you know, how it was that I could play my best tennis and, and go from there. And that made me a lot happier, you know, with how, how yeah. it was going. Okay. But then let's, let's go this route. What's, what's the worst experience you had? Um, at, at, a, at a venue or at, at a place because mm. pe- pe- it's, it's always funny I think people have this uh, this idea that everything is, is crap which it's clearly not right yeah. oh um, yeah um, but did you have, have did you have any experiences that that just kind of made you realize how quickly you wanted to get up to this this next level and just stay there I mean I it's a good question I mean I was it was more the like uncertainty of the schedule that really bothered me you know like okay if you're not doing well then you're like running off one minute here to play like the challenger to make a few extra points and this and that whereas like the guys who seemed to be doing this right they were like all right this is what i play and this is the time that i have off to train and this is when i play again and it was like i mean even even so much as um i think it was actually 2016 yeah it was in 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 march sorry that would have been 2015 when we had that talk yeah 2016 in I was ranked maybe 60 in the world. Yeah. And I was just on the cut for making the Olympics in singles. Yeah. And I, I won a couple rounds in Ewells, a couple rounds in Miami, and I went to play at Challenger absolute last minute in Guadalupe, and I was there, and I was tired, and I ended up winning a couple rounds. I lost to Nishioka. It was the first time I ever saw him, and I thought he was... Yeah. He, beat the crap out of me I remember but like again it was just like I just I wanted to get away from that sort of last minute okay let me go here and try to pick up a few more points let me go here and just playing what I felt like was kind of unprepared yeah whereas I felt like the guys who were really successful they 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 made a schedule they stuck to it and that seemed to be the way to be good for a long time you know and to consistently get better actually you know longevity was was that in in that more so than the other way would you ever have any interest in i mean being being more proactive in terms of atp player council setting that kind of ideal i mean like being more of a leader in that i mean yeah look it's hard though because at the end of the day you can't we're all independent contractors out here right so like it's hard to say for now nobody has some thoughts yeah yeah it's hard to say um, 
it's hard to tell a guy, look, you know, you, you can't go, you can't go work this week. You yeah. know, I mean, if they want to go work that week, and then not everybody thinks like that. You yeah, know? right. Just, again, that's part of the identity thing. Like I just yeah. knew that I ticked better when I felt prepared to play, and when yeah. I wasn't, when it wasn't sort of all haphazard and rushed and last minute. Like I knew, I knew that when I was organized and felt like I was prepared to go to an event, I was going to perform better, be happier, get better, all of those things. You yeah. Know? So it's sort of. Um, it's sort of once again it's an individual thing I mean this is an individual sport even in doubles it's still an individual sport you know and I think part of it is it's just that is understanding not only your game but your personality and what makes you feel good along the lines of doubles um, you're playing with Didi Sharan yeah. this week and you've bounced around a little bit yeah. the last couple of weeks can you explain what that's like for people who are not around it and what what it, those last minute decisions of yeah. who to play with? How frantic can it get? Well, first off, I will say I, I must say I've been incredibly lucky to not have had to be in that situation. Yeah. Ever since I started playing doubles quite seriously in 2015, I've been uh, with Raven Clawson, who we've had a couple great years, and we just decided in order for both of us to go to the next level, it probably might be better to try other options. And so I was set up to play with Brian Baker, who unfortunately um, is not healthy again. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so you're back to your question. So the first three weeks of the year, I've played with three different players. The first two were Feliciano Lopez and then Fabio Fognini and now Divic, who have all been great players. But yes, it's it's a very difficult thing, once again, for me especially, who likes to have things a certain way and be yes. as prepared as you can. Those first two weeks, great guys, great players. It was just a tough thing for me to get used to because, sure. I mean, everyone plays a different way. They have a different style. They have a little bit of a different, you know... I don't know what the word is, but they, they just have a different way about them that you yeah. kind of have to get used to. And when you're trying to win doubles matches at you know a high level, these things all make a difference. And so I think um, for those who don't get it, it's a it's a tough thing. It's a really tough thing to to have that. And I would say you know I, I would try to resolve that issue as soon as I can because I'd like to play with somebody more regularly. What when's the last time you were there right before the cutoff, like scrambling to find a partner? I mean, it's got to be years for you. Yeah, because it's it, it, for people again who don't know. There, it's just like you, you will find a like just a group of players yes. just sitting around. Are you okay? Can you go? Yes. Like right in and front of the literal the literal sign in. Oh, the last time I was scrambling for a cutoff, I think it was a sort of scrambling in Canada in two thousand and. 15 when I first started with Raven that was the first summer we played and we were like one out of the original and I wouldn't even say it was scrambling so much we just weren't for sure we we had to de depend on the on-site list yeah. to get in yeah um but it can be an absolute chaotic zoo there when you have guys you know they're they're trying to play big events and they're trying to you know you know be in these tournaments where they can play for more points and more money and they'll they'll just do you know they'll play with whoever to get in and you know, I, I, it's a it's a tough situation. It's actually something that we're trying to make a little bit better on the yeah. on the player council side. Trying to make it maybe, I don't know if there's a way around it, but at least make it to so where it's not in person in an office at the tournament. You know, we're we're trying to actually do it so where it's you know an online sign in. Right. So you so the the players can do all the switching and chopping and changing, but it's not going to be like physically seen. Which I don't right. know if that makes it better, but it, it might just make it easier at least for the tournament staff. You know? Sure. Your parents, um, I've, I've been lucky enough to know them for so many yeah. years, uh, and, and they're always so incredibly kind to me. 
um, and I know you have nothing but incredible things to say about them yeah. as well. Uh, how do you think you've learned from them about how you want to be a parent? I mean, the, the biggest thing I would be, I would say, is that they were they've allowed me to pursue a passion. Yeah. And that's one thing I would say. You know, as much as I would maybe want my kids to do something, I, I've been an athlete. I probably want them to play sports. If they want nothing to do with sports, I need to realize that that's probably okay as long as they're, yeah. they're you know. And my parents have done a great job with me. I feel like of letting me pursue my passion but also making sure they put me in the right direction when it comes to doing that you know um yeah. right on that catching up with Peter Polanski yeah okay. how about that no but I think I think that um you know that would be the, the first thing I, I you know a lot of people sort of have visions for their kids I would think before they're you know before they grow up yeah. what they want them to do and Especially coming from from the culture that I do, you know, I mean, education is very um, looked highly upon, which it should be. I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but um, you know, if if a, if a child doesn't maybe want to go that route immediately and wants yeah. to try something else that they're doing with their full commitment and full effort and full ability, um, I feel like only good can come out of that. And yeah. that's sort of the, the the approach that my parents took is that the worst thing that can happen with my tennis is I become unsuccessful and not any good at it. I, maybe I get hurt, but at least I tried. Yeah. You know, at least I, and they felt like at least I was going to put everything I had into this one thing. And if it doesn't work, maybe I'll figure out why it didn't work. Or, or, or at least I know that I tried, but it didn't, it wasn't for me. Then I might go on something else instead of having that thought 25 years later of, yeah. oh man, I, I wish I did, or I could have, or I should have, or I would have, you know, and, and that's, I think, what I can take from that is that that, realizing that that feeling is worse than the alternative is probably, you know, the best thing that they did. And you were an only child, uh, and so you had their, their full attention so I much did, of the yeah. time as well. I, I, same for me. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, I think there are a lot of positives and negatives to being an only child. Yeah. What, what was it like for you? I mean, they... It, I would say selfishly, it's uh, it's more of a negative now because I mean you travel the world alone and you you know well I have my wife now but for a long time it was alone and sure. you know it it would have been nice in this business of a bunch of people that are looking out for themselves to maybe have a sibling that's really there for you right, you know right. and you know I don't I didn't have that but you know the, the positive like you said is I, I kind of got the full attention of everything you know whether it be you know emotionally supportive financially whatever else and so i, I definitely reap the benefits of of that as a, as a child growing up for sure all right this is this is going to be a random question yeah. you obviously baker was around your mm -hmm. time amir obviously you played yep. with at illinois bobby reynolds another one of the guys you played with who was the best player we might not have heard of from that group uh, the, the group you grew up with um that's a great question, actually. The best player we may not have heard of. Um, assuming we've heard of all those, yeah. those guys that you mentioned. Okay. Yeah. Um, was there, was there, you, I mean, obviously you were ridiculously highly ranked and everything, yeah. but was there just a guy who kicked your ass from time to time and you were just like, that flipping yeah, guy? Yeah, because he was just that good. <laughs> I mean, well, I had a few of those in juniors. I had this kid who, in the 14 and unders, he never, he never, unfortunately for him, grew very tall, but he yeah. was a great player. His name was Doug Stewart, and he played in at UVA. Virginia, yeah, yeah. He played at UVA. He was a finalist at Kalamazoo our last year. He was number one in the country. 14s. I can't remember 16s. I think I beat him once, maybe in Calumet. But anyway, he was a, he was a great player. Yeah. You know, just never quite 
was able to make a jump, make the jump on the yeah. tour. Um, what's what's the difference? Like realistically, in, yeah. like now, fifteen years into your career, yeah. and it is about to be fifteen yeah. years since uh, since the NCAA title for you. Yeah. What's the difference? What's the it? I tell you what the it is. If I can sum it up in the one word, is is being a good loser. You know, yeah. and, and as silly as that sounds, I mean, if you're a good junior, you can go months without losing a match. Yeah. You can win one tournament and the next tournament and the next, and then you get to the end of one tournament and one guy beats you. Yeah. Then you go another couple of months without losing. I mean, I think Brian Baker had a record one year of like, it was like a Fed record. It was like 45 <laughs> and two or something, you know? And the reality is when we come on tour, you lose every week. Right. And to be able to have the mental capacity to keep the train going forward and understand that even if you win or you lose, if you're doing the right things, if you're improving your game, if you're trying to look forward and trying just becoming a better player, is that being the main focus, that takes you pretty far. But if you're somebody who kind of dwells on the losses and goes into your shell and, you know, yeah. thinks the world is going to end because you've lost, you know, two, three, four weeks in a row, that can really weigh on you. And, and if you stop working because of it, then your game drops improving, yeah. you know? And, you look at you know players and athletes in every in every sport. Tiger Woods, number one in the world, he changed his swing four times or whatever it was because he's tried to get better. Right. You know, Roger Federer could have sat on his butt and counted his millions, but he changed his racket. He changes his coaches. He, he tries. He tries. He experiments with different things. You know, Novak's out here, new service motion. Yeah. I mean, hundred million dollars in the bank. He doesn't have to come here. You know, right. but like he's trying to still get better because he feels like there's more there. Yeah. You know, and these guys are the most successful people ever yeah. in, in this sport at least and um, so I think you know if they're trying to continuously push forward and improve themselves and yeah. the rest of us absolutely need to be doing that so I'd say that that's the biggest the biggest difference um, I, I believe however you still owe me uh, one or two Chipotle's Raj I do yeah. from what I bought Chipotle that night. Oh, okay. I mean, that was... I, I feel like I turned your career around. Possibly. Uh, that night. I haven't been back to Sarasota, as wonderful as it was. Well, you know, I don't know if you heard. Some things happened in Sarasota <laughs> I last hear year. That. Things, things I got did. a little interesting. I did hear that. You weren't there. No, I wasn't there. But I That would have been awkward. <laughs> that would have been really even more awkward than it already was. Oh, man. Nerves? Uh, listen, and then I'll let you go because no, I know fine. you want to get into your night, and I've I've got Muguruza coming up in a, okay. in a little bit. But are, are you when you have your first round match this week? Nerves still oh, yeah. get butterflies. If you don't have nerves, you don't care. And when I when I stop having nerves, I'm, I got to find a new job. Yeah, uh, I think that's you know, nerves are nerves are there for a reason because you care about what you're doing. You care yeah. about what's going to happen out there, and. Um, Nerves are a good thing, you know. I think when when you when somebody feels nervous, it means that they're going to be a bit more alert. They're going to, or at yeah. least for me, I'm going to be a bit more alert. I'm a bit be a bit more into it, and a bit more energetic. All those things, and there can definitely be a fine line between being too nervous, but being too nervous is way better than being not nervous. What happens when the Raj uh, plays Raj? <laughs> I mean, because I want to be a, a part of that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last time we played each other. We, oh, we played each other at Wimbledon. We had a pretty okay. long match at Wimbledon. There was uh, five sets. And Is there a special crown for that? The, the best Raj in the yeah, world? Yeah, really. Yeah, he, he wears that no matter what. I don't, the tennis match isn't going to decide that, unfortunately, I don't think. Rajiv, thank yes, you. Yes, thank Appreciate you, Mike. It.